Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I wanna jump in today. We're, we're gonna continue our series in the book of Matthew next week, but I wanted on this special day uh, to talk about the church and our church and what makes us tick and what kind of makes our heart beat and what forms us and shapes us as a people. I thought it was fitting today uh, where we are launching a new location and where there's been a lot of new people join our community. The Ontario invasion continues and we are grateful for it. People have moved from all over the world. We got people moving from all over the world to Atlantic Canada and they're showing up in our church every weekend and we're super glad that you're with us. But I thought it'd be very good to take a, a week and just sort of lay out for us what makes us tick. Have you ever noticed when you encounter a great group of people, uh, whether it's a family, a sports team, a business, an organization, a school, a nation, or a church, what is it about a great group of people that makes them great? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is it about a great sports team or a great family that makes them extraordinary? If you ever come across a group of great people, the thing that separates them, I want to suggest to you today, isn't talent. Uh, if you see a great sports team, talent matters. But how many of you have been in sports to know that the best player doesn't always win the championship? Uh, Maybe it's a family. You've, you've encountered a great family. And although great genes and great, uh, you know, DNA is good, DNA is not enough to make a great family or a great business. A great product is a good advantage, but you can have a great product and not a successful company. Has anybody experienced that? We know this to be true, that it's not these quantifying resources that make something great. There's something else at work that separates great families, great companies, great schools, great teams, great organizations, great churches. I want to suggest to you today that what makes a people great is ultimately that they know who they are and they know where they're going. And where they're going is actually a great and good place. But I've seen this model. The, the, the importance of having a clear vision and a clear culture and value system. I saw it in my own upbringing. My family was not perfect, but now that I look back on my upbringing and how my parents raised us, I'm very grateful for the clarity that they established in our household. I know what it means to be an Ingersoll. And I've seen that in some of my friends. Some of my friends, my friends, the Petersons, they have their own family value system. They're a great family and they've cultivated that. I've seen it in teams. I've been on sports teams where we had all the best players and we still lost. Why? Because we didn't have a clear sense of vision and cohesiveness and culture. You've probably experienced that today. What makes a team or an organization great is the clarity of vision and the values and the culture that they have as a group. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes today as a church. Before we step off into this new season, you know, people have come back from the COVID time and all that, and we've got new people in our church, a brand new congregation in St. Stephen. We're growing all the time. I thought it would be good to have a family chat. Sometimes, and I've noticed this as a dad even, it's important when we find our culture getting a little loose, it's important to sit the kids down and say, hey, we're Ingersolls and we do it this way. Anybody know that to be true? Just, you gotta keep hammering the culture because I've noticed that healthy cultures don't just happen. Same way your body doesn't just naturally get in shape. We drift towards dysfunction, you have to cultivate health. Can I get an amen, a sad amen? It's true, it's hard, but it's true. So I wanna take a few minutes today and talk about our church. What is our vision? What makes our heart beat? And what makes this culture that is King's Church so unique? Can we do that? Can you help me here at the Valley? I wanna teach all the new people at St. Stephen how unbelievably interactive you always are. <laughs> Can we do that? One pro tip, St. Stephen, is, and you're kind of, I mean, you can't really change it, but basically long sermons are, are the fault of who's ever in the room here because it takes longer if they're not interacting. So if they're saying amen and stuff, we move a lot quicker. 
All right, so, so pray, <laughs> amen. All right, so what is our vision? Let's start off with the vision of King's Church. What is our vision? Here it is said quite simply, the vision of King's Church, what we're hoping to see is heaven on earth. We exist to see the kingdom and the reality of heaven invade and occupy this world. Can I get an amen? amen. The, this, this is ultimately our vision on earth as it is in heaven. Why is this our vision? Well, it's, this is the biblical vision. If you open your Bible, we could do a, a thousand, hundred thousand foot flyover, Genesis 1 and 2. If you read it, it talks about how God made heaven and earth as one beautiful intersecting reality. And then through sin and man's rebellion and the kingdom of darkness comes in and brought separation from heaven and earth. But thanks be to God, he had a plan. He sent his son the great reconciler, Jesus Christ, who brought heaven and earth back together in and of himself. And now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job to see heaven on earth, ultimately culminating in our future hope in Revelation 21 and 22, when a new heaven and a new earth come together and are established forever and ever and ever. And there will be no more sorrow, mourning, crying, sickness, or pain, for it will be done away with forever. That's the grand story. And that's what we're part of. And so our heartbeat, all, our, our vision ultimately is that we just want to see the kingdom of God established on the earth. And this is our day-to-day -day amen to the prayer of Jesus. What did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So when we think of heaven, heaven is not just this like, airy, fairy, cloudy sky. Don't think of like wings and harps and halos. We think of the dominion of God. That's, what, that's ultimately what the kingdom of heaven is. It's the reach of God's unadulterated will. And so our heart and our hope is to extend the reach of God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So, so what does that mean? That means that we want to see St. Stephen look more like heaven. We want to see the values and the will and the word of God have more root in the, in the region of St. Stephen. We want to see Halifax look more like heaven. Can I get an amen? We want to see St. John look more like heaven. We want to see Charlottetown look more like heaven. Our heart is to see the kingdom of God invade Atlantic Canada and beyond. This is what makes us go. This is our vision. But now specifically... That's a very broad vision, and having a, having a grand vision is a good thing, but if it's too broad and too great, it doesn't really inspire us to do a whole lot with it. So let's start zooming in. How do we want to see this happen? Well, you're in church, and the answer is Jesus. The answer is almost always Jesus when you ask a question in church. It's like the little boy, he said, I know it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm pretty sure the answer is Jesus. Remember that? Anyway, Sunday school story. So what is our mission? Our mission is to see all people in all places embrace the life-saving power of King Jesus. This is ultimately what we're trying to do. And our mission is how we accomplish the vision. So if we're going to see heaven invade earth, here's how we're going to do it. Get people to Jesus. That's our job. You had one job. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples. Bring people to me. Immerse them in the kingdom reality. And we believe that Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. Amen? Any nerds in the place? He's, a, he's the nexus. He's the porthole. He's the door. He's the way. He's the, he's the way in which you access the kingdom of heaven. So if we want to see heaven invade earth, it happens person by person coming to know the saving power of King Jesus. That's a mission worth giving your life to. We want to see all people in all places Come to know the saving power of King Jesus. This is why we exist. This is what makes us tick. And this is what we have been doing as a church for 40 years. It has taken different styles and strategies over the years, but ultimately we've been doing one thing and one thing only. We've been trying to glorify God to bring his kingdom to earth, and we do that through introducing person after person after person to King Jesus. That's our job. Jesus is the Savior. King's church is not. Amen? 
Jesus is the healer. King's church is not. Our job is to simply usher people into his presence and to do whatever we can to get people to come to know Jesus. Because when they meet Jesus, they meet grace and they meet mercy and they meet second and third and fourth chances. They meet transformation. They meet restoration. They, they meet power, perfect peace. I could go on until someone bears witness to the hope that we have in King Jesus. All right. I'm trying to get you out of here, St. Stephen. I'm doing my best. Trying to wrap it up at a good amount of time. But our vision is, is the product of a mission accomplished. And our mission is ultimately to see all people in all places. Now, we do have a heart for the world, as does God. Jesus said, go into all nations. And we support different mission things around the world. However, our heartbeat is ultimately for Atlantic Canada. Uh, God has placed us and planted us in this place. This is our place and this is our time. And we take up the call and we wave the banner of Christ and we want to see Atlantic Canada revived in Jesus' name. We are a church that really, really, and I'm, I'm giving my life to see a wave of revival. My hope is that before I die, I see a massive wave of revival in Atlantic Canada. I'm giving my life to it. I want to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people just flock into the kingdom of God through salvation in Jesus. And I believe that day's coming where people are going to be coming and going to say, what must I do to be saved? And so we are, we are all for that. Now, having a mission and having a vision is very good. However, having a clear mission and vision is not enough to create a healthy church. The same is true in your life. How many of you know it's one thing to have a goal, it's another thing to accomplish said goal, right? Like how many of you got a Good Life membership last January? <laughs> and you're like, well, I'll, I'll try again in January, right? Here, there's a guy named James Clear, writes a great book called Atomic Habits. And in it, he says, you know what? We don't fail to the level of our vision or our goal. We fail to the level of our system or our values, Ultimately, your life is going to be the product of the values in which you operate and the habits that you have. And so we want to zoom in more on who we are as a church. We don't want to just have a generic vision, but we want to start zooming in on having habits that lead to the accomplishment of our mission and the fulfillment of our vision. Does that make sense? Yes? So that's why we have something we call the Code of Kings. And the Code of Kings isn't just a catchy, you know, terminology for some things that we hold to be important. The Code of Kings is our value system, and we are convinced that to the degree that we can walk in these principles and we can allow them to take their place, regardless of the season that we're in, we believe we'll start to accomplish that mission and we'll contribute to the vision. Now, we picked over the last decade... 10 values we call our code that we believe are timeless, that are birthed out of scripture. We use the, what's something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So nerdy. You can't say Wesleyan or quadrilateral without sounding like a dork. It just, that's how it goes. But the Wesleyan quadrilateral is basically how we inform our theology is through scripture, through tradition of the saints, through reason or logic, and through experience. And we, over the decades as a church, have basically, in different seasons, discovered that these principles and these values are foundational for us to be a healthy church and to accomplish the mission and vision that God has given us. And so we have planted these values in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 10s, and now in the 20s, these values have been consistent. And so I want to take... 20 minutes, the time I have left, to show you what our values are. And we're going to have fun together, all right? You're going to say them with me. This is going to be fun and interactive, okay? Here are our values, and we fight for this. And my hope is, for those of us that have been part of King's Church for a while, this will be a refresher and a reminder, and it will help you connect some dots into why we do what we do. Everything is, it goes back to these values. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. All right, here we go. Our first value is this, we exist for king and kingdom. For king and kingdom. We say it like this, we surrender our whole lives in total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Say it with me, for king and kingdom. That's our first fundamental value. This whole thing rises and falls on Jesus getting kingship status in his church. 
We have placed him on the throne. We are a King Jesus people, a King Jesus church. This is about worship. It's about reverence. It's about giving God the glory that only he is due. It's about having a foundation that is built on the fear of the Lord. Y'all, this, we don't believe that Jesus is our homeboy or our buddy or some great teacher or somebody who has some cool thoughts on this or that. We believe that Jesus is king. He's not just king of Canada or king of King's Church. He's king of the universe. And he is seated on the throne. And our fundamental posture is one of reverent worship that takes our own crowns off and lays it at his feet and says, you get the glory, you get to be king, only you, and we surrender ourselves, our lives, our allegiance to you and you alone. It's about King Jesus. It's about the glory of God. It's, it, it, it means that we aim to live our lives devoted, to be worshipers of the one true God, Jesus Christ, to be servants. We see ourselves as servants of a master. Now, if you look around the rooms you're in, there are some impressive people, business owners, doctors, lawyers, teachers, homemakers, people who have done very well in their field. But if you're part of King's Church, all of those people gladly lay their crowns and their prestige down at the feet of Jesus and say, he's the one that's really worthy of all the worship and honor. So we are a King Jesus church. Our culture starts in the, in the humility and the fear of the Lord. It's, it's recognizing. Um, some of you are familiar maybe with the Westminster Catechism. It was a statement uh, that Christians made centuries ago that said this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so our church is aimed at that. And we say if we are going to experience life, it's ultimately got to be unto his glory that our chief end as a people is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our culture starts to the glory of King Jesus and it ends with the glory of King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Number two, we are a people who live life on the word, on the word. We stake our lives on the word of God, our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, and our weapon in the battle. We are a people that are what? Not bad, not bad. All right, we are a people who are on the word. What do we mean by that? We mean that the Bible is our authority. We are a Bible church, a Bible-believing people. We don't believe that it's up for debate or to be edited or adulterated. We don't believe that it can be adjusted. We believe it means what it says. It says what it says, and it's in there for a reason. And we stand on the authority of God's word, even when it's inconvenient or incongruent with culture, with mainstream culture. And look, if you're still here, you've already crossed that bridge. You know right now that there's a lot of politically incorrect stuff inside the Holy Bible. But we say, Jesus is king, therefore his word goes. And so we stand on his word. Even if it's uncomfortable and we say, well, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, your ways are higher than my ways, therefore we will surrender our intellect, our intellect and understanding to him. God gets to be God and his word gets to, gets to be the, the final say. So we are a Bible-believing church and we've believed that we have found out and discovered that the word of God is the key to flourishing. It's the key to Christian flourishing. Has anybody experienced that? To the degree that we hold to the word of God will be the degree of freedom and life and vitality and hope and peace and power we walk in. I've seen that over the 10 years. I've been senior pastor here for just about 10 years. And I was 29 when I took over. And I'll tell you what, I didn't have enough wisdom to get up and pontificate to you then. I don't now. But what I can do is hide behind the word of God. And I have found that the word of God is very powerful and very effective and much more convincing and compelling than my words. And so we are a Bible church. We preach through the Bible. We preach from the Bible. We are baked and soaked by the Bible. We're creatures of the word. We live by it. We walk in it. We're trained by it. We travel with it. We're people of the word of God. That's why we put a lot of effort as a church into training our kids in the word of God. We have something called King's Academy that's helping our, our people go deeper in the word of God. We are a Bible church. And if you don't have a Bible, we will give you one. We want you to be in the word. We are a Bible church. We exist. We stake our lives on the word of God, our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, and our weapon in the battle. Number three, we're moving. We are decidedly different. We're what? 
We're getting it. Good, good, good. We are decidedly different. What do I mean by that, decidedly different? Well, we wholeheartedly embrace the culture of heaven and we fully expect our lives to reflect this kingdom reality. In other words, we expect to be weird. Not like just, just strange, but peculiar. What did Peter mean when he said, live your lives in such a way as aliens in the world? So that when people see you, they'll say, oh, that's different. We are people that are citizens of heaven. Therefore, our expectation is our cultures and our values and our actions are going to reflect that, the kingdom of heaven, more than the kingdom of Canada or the kingdom of America or the kingdom of the West. We expect to be different. We haven't just been called to be believers. We've been called to be disciples. And disciple means to take a certain way of life on, your, on yourself. That's what Jesus said. He said, come and follow me. My yoke is easy. Learn from me. Apply my lessons. Obey my word. Do what I say and live. And so we expect our lives to be different. We don't just believe that the grace of God saves or forgives. We believe that the grace of God in Jesus transforms us. Amen? We, it changes us. Listen, let me, just, let me just burst the bubble. You can't follow Jesus and stay the same. You can't. He, he is transformation. It's, the Bible says in, in Corinthians, it says, as we behold his glory, we are being transformed into his image. Just considering Jesus and worshiping Jesus and obeying Jesus changes us into his likeness. So we expect our lives to look different. We expect to have different customs and different values. We do different things with our time and our money and our attitudes different. We bear the fruit of the spirit. We are people who are peculiar in this world. We embrace the good weird of heaven. That's why sometimes you come to a gathering and we'll like, we'll put a hand on a shoulder and we'll pray in faith because why? We know it's weird, but it's, it's real and it's, it's, it's who we are. We are, we've chosen to be different. Transformation is our expectation. We expect that the grace of God is going to transform us and it never stops. Like one of my favorite testimonies of the grace of God is when I meet somebody, a, a saint who's been following Jesus for decades and they're still changing. There's a, there's, a, there's a guy, Arnold, here on camera too. He's, he's been here since the beginning, and God is still changing him into his image. His heart is still being tenderized day by day, and it's still happening. I, I love that the transformation never stops. It's our expectation. We have a history and a lineage of people being changed by the grace of Jesus. We, uh, we expect a little alien shock once in a while. To, uh, to, to be the experience. I, I love like going around with some of you that have, been, have just been converted and transformed. I've been with some of you when you've bumped into somebody else that hasn't seen you in a while and they have to do a double take like they saw a ghost or something. It's because you've changed so much. We don't believe that you've changed is derogatory in our culture. It's our expectation. You better have changed. Me too. I better be changing and growing. We've chosen different. Number four, we're, on, we're flying, we're flying. We are a by the Spirit people. We are a Holy Spirit church. We don't just believe that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, or we don't just believe the Holy Spirit's the, the third member of the Trinity, but we don't really talk about him that much. He's the crazy uncle in the family, and we don't really want to have anything to do with him. We believe the Holy Spirit is God Almighty, and in fact, the Father sent the Son to redeem all of mankind and reconcile heaven and earth to himself. And then the Bible says that Jesus ascended to heaven and he sent the Spirit so that you and I can walk in the power and presence of the living God every single day of life. Can I get an amen? So we are a by the Spirit church. We are a what? By the Spirit, yes. The Holy Spirit is the power at work in us to live the kingdom life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If you're going to experience the life of Christ, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit is enabling it. Some of you aren't even Christians yet. The Holy Spirit is working on you even right now, pulling you into King Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, the Holy Spirit is still doing the same thing, pushing us to Jesus to become more like him and enabling us to live the life we are called to live. Our prayer as a church, even this morning as I was praying uh, by myself and then our prayer team even met earlier when uh, we were praying, we pray not, God, help us have a good service. 
God, help the songs to go off well. God, help children's ministry to work. Help the pastor to preach okay. We don't pray that. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Because if it, I can get up and do the most eloquent sermon ever, but if the Spirit of God doesn't, doesn't rest upon it, nothing transformational, eternal ever happens. And it's the same for our songs. What makes it powerful is that the Spirit of God inhabits our praises. We want people to walk into our gatherings and to tear up because they sense the presence of the Almighty. God is not just some abstract deity off in the netherworlds or off in the end of the universe, but God is a living God who is present with us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We are a Holy Spirit church. We are a Spirit-filled people. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that He still does miracles. We believe that the job of the church is not to get the Holy Spirit to partner with us, but the job of the church is to partner with what the Holy Spirit is already doing on the earth. And so... Look, the church, the church doesn't have a mission and the church doesn't have the spirit. The mission of God and the spirit of God has a church to accomplish it. That's, that's what we believe. Number, four, number five, we're, we're getting there. In light of the fact that we believe that the Holy Spirit is living and moving in our midst, we are a people who are prayerfully faith-filled. Prayerfully faith-filled. We're what? Get a little lag in the room. We're, we're, almost, we're almost there. What do we mean by that? We mean in life and death, we are a praying people, a praying people of active, relentless, audacious faith in God. We are a praying church. This church started through people who were praying. This church has always been propelled and powered through prayer. Every lasting, transformational, meaningful thing that has ever been accomplished in our church has happened because somebody or some people prayed. At every layer and level of our church, we soak it in prayer. Our staff prays, our families pray, our leadership, our board of leaders pray. We all pray, we soak this church in prayer and we believe that God answers prayer. He does. Now, some of you I know are on the other side of it, like, well, I asked this and, he, and I didn't get the answer I wanted. That doesn't mean he didn't answer. We, that's why we put in life and in death. In life and in death, we are praying people. What does that, what does that mean? It means that we want to have an attitude like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that says, my God can deliver me from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, I trust him. And that's, that's how we operate here. We pray big prayers. That's why at the end of every service, we have prayer ministers they're there to agree with the heart of God over your life. Why? Because we believe that, that when we pray, things happen. They just do. And so we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't stop praying, even when we got, didn't get the answer we wanted. Every level of our church is soaked in prayer. Number six, we are radically generous. We're what? Radically generous. Hey, hey. That was, that, that was like the, the post-love week. Yeah, we are. We are radically generous. We serve a generous king who gives without limit or condition, and out of his unending wealth, we give. For those of you who maybe missed it, last week we just celebrated Love Week. It's our, it's our annual week-long generosity initiative, not because we're only generous one week of the year, but because we try to be extra generous that week. And we gave away, I don't even remember, $270,000 or something. Insane. It was awesome, and you guys are so generous, and that is part of our DNA here. Now, I don't want to get into a big theological lesson. I could preach a whole sermon on all of these, but ultimately, we believe around here that you can't truly be a son of the king. You can't truly be a disciple of Jesus and be stingy. Those two things are incongruent. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And he who has been set free from fear doesn't need to hoard money and time. We are generous with all of it. Why? Because we know the supplier. We know the provider. And we, we, we realize that at the heart of our church actually is a battle. It's a battle of trust. Jesus said you will serve only one master, either God or mammon, money, control. And we believe that when we practice radical generosity breaks the back of idolatry. It breaks the back of the, our compulsion to hoard money and control. And so 
Many of us, you look around the rooms you're in, many of us are disciples who tithe, where we practice first fruits giving. My wife and I do that as well. We give 10%, not just of my income, but also Melanie, she's a nurse. We practice that as disciples. Some of you practice first fruit giving along with us. A lot of you do. And then we're generous on top of that. We just want to be obedient. If God says give, we give. No, no questions asked, no strings attached. We practice radical, radical generosity. And I have seen this to be a real key for our church, to be honest. Just to the degree that we're generous, it just brings God's favor in a special way. I get a lot of pastors that ask me, like, how, how does our church continue to grow and flourish in a time where so many churches in eastern Canada are dying? And at the heart of it is generosity. We've, we've just seen God do incredible things. I try to tell people, just join Love Week and do stuff like that. And it absolutely breaks something open in the heart of the church. We're radically generous. Number seven, we love the world. We love the world. What do I mean by that? We serve a king whose extravagant love for this world compels us to engage it, not escape it. We what? We love the world. We what? Yeah. Why does this need to be stated? Well, if you grew up in church or you've been around church for a while, I have noticed that there is a very easy natural tendency for the church to drift towards a self-inward focus. It gets very easy to be more concerned about ourselves than the world to which God has called us. So we believe that Jesus didn't just come uh, to, to reach a certain group of people and then close the door and be done. He came to try to see all people the Bible says that the Son of Man is trying to ransom, seek and save lost people. And he's, he came to engage the world. And that's what we are all about ultimately. We want to see this world reach. And so we fight against the tendency to build up big walls and to create this kind of cultural Christian clique. And how many of you have been around church long enough to know that is a very natural and easy tendency? And so we have a value in the ground for our church that says we have got to not only break down walls, but we have to build bridges into the community. We need to be constantly reaching out. That's why we, we hold Celebrate Recovery as like one of our central things. Do you notice the CR is not just healthy for the people that are experiencing it, it's healthy for our church. If we aren't reaching out, then what are we doing? If we aren't offering hope to the hopeless and healing to the broken and the gospel to the lost, then what are we doing? That's why we put so much stock in Alpha. Why? Because we're reaching out, trying to call people to come to find Jesus. We love the world. God so loved the world. Lord, forgive your church and forgive us for times where we haven't represented that well. Isn't it unbelievable that the church has come across as judgmental, angry and cranky. It just, it just gets easy to get in that mode. But that's not who God is. That's not who Jesus is. He keeps coming with mercy and hope and truth and peace. And we want to walk in that the same way. We love the world. We what? We love the world. We want to keep, keep coming and building bridges. Number eight, we're almost done. I told you we're going fast. Another thing about us is we want to be a people who are excelling in honor. Excelling in honor. We're what? Excelling in honor. Yeah. That did my heart good. We honor God as we honor others, as it is currency in the kingdom of God. Now, what do we mean by excelling in honor? Is that about excellence? Well, sort of. We want to be excellent in everything that we do, but not excellent for the sake of excellent. Honor is ultimately to add value to someone. It's to add value. It, to honor is to esteem to, to give glory, to uplift, to encourage, to dignify, to beautify. We want to see people honored, every type of person. So one of the things we want to see, like we, we sometimes use language like honor up, honor down, honor all around. Every type of person, regardless of your age, your background, your skin color, every type of person has inherent value because they've been created in the image of God and we as people are called to, to actually deposit value in each other. And so we want to walk in constant honor. This should be, we should, like when you come and you gather at King's Church, I hope you never feel like you are dishonored. 
You might be challenged. I don't mind when you come and say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes with that word. God's word will challenge you. If God never corrects you, you're not listening. But you should always feel valued. You should always feel valued. And we want that in our culture. We want people to feel honored. We want to value all the parts of the church. And, and listen, there are no parts that receive more honor than the other. It's honor up, honor down, honor all around. We just want to give value everywhere. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. There's only one superstar in the church, and his name is Jesus. Amen? I don't get more honor than you. I just have a different role than you. The honor that we give is the glory of God, and we call, out, call that out in each other. It's the imago Dei. You've been made in the image of God, and we are, we are called to call that out and add value. We serve each other. We love each other. We lift each other up. We hold each other up. We say well done. We cheer each other on. That's what we want in our culture. Amen? Let's just fight that critical spirit that's always trying to rise up. And let me just say, if you're new to Atlantic Canada, it's a problem here. The critical spirit, isn't it? I was thinking, I was thinking last, like, I've been thinking recently even. I've been saying this a few times. It's unbelievable how low the bar is for like incredible testimony of the reality of God for the church in our day. Like all we need to do is not be jerks right now. And it's going to be like, wow, there is a God. Like imagine just not jumping on the criticism train and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm not participating in that. Imagine being a person that speaks life and speaks well of people instead of getting down the well, freaking Irving and Jenny, taking all the jobs and then the economy. If we got out of that once in a while, we just were people who spoke life. And we, we used our words like, like Paul says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which what? Builds up. We want to use our words and our actions to what? Build each other up. That's why we put this in writing because we don't just want to, we don't want to just like, it's very popular right now to do like cheap virtue signaling. We don't want it, we aren't interested in cheap virtue signaling. We actually want to speak life, to lift people up, to, to hold people up, to cheer people on. We want our culture to be permeated with that, the value of the life and glory of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Probably do, we probably do a sermon on all of these. Number nine, we're almost done. On a mission. We already talked about this, but it needs more specific attention. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We are sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate that the good news that Jesus saves. So we do Alpha. So we do CR. So we have services. But you know what our number one strategy to see people come to know Jesus is? You. You. As you follow Jesus. As you worship him. As you... Walk in a life that's powered by the Spirit, standing on the Word, decidedly different, as you love radically, as you're generous, radically generous, as you're a person of honor. It's going to make people ask, why are you different? And when that moment comes, when they say, why are you different? You don't have to give them a thesis or a theological statement. You just got to say, Jesus changed me and he can change you too. You are our evangelism strategy, ultimately. It's not my job to lead everybody to Christ. It's, not anybody, it's, it's our job as the church of Jesus Christ to walk in the hope that we have to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. Just think about it for a minute. Like whether you're new to us, you're in St. Stephen, you're in Charlottetown, Halifax, wherever you are, God has positioned you there in the hope that you declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves and that some people may come to know him through you. That's an incredible thought. He's put you in your workplace on mission. He's put you in your home and in your family on mission. He's put you in your, your friends group on mission, in your sports league on mission. Wherever you are, you're on mission. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, no, you really are. You really are on mission. That's who we are as believers. Last thought. Last code. We do this because... We're built together. We're what? Built together. What do I mean by, what do we mean by built together? Why is this a value? Well, we mean that we thrive and we flourish only as we are built together in kingdom community. This, this all happens as we come together in the hard work of real community. Listen, there is, there is nothing more unusual than, an, than a truly 
healthy, unified group of people. And I'll tell you what, the church right now has the opportunity to shine such incredible light. Like there's a lot of talk about this community and that community and this community and that community. And they're all centered upon their own unique individual identity. But the community of the saints is actually centered on Jesus. We don't build our community based on our differences. We build our community based on who Jesus is. And as we all come to him, we find our collective identity in him. It doesn't mean that that you don't get to be you and I don't get to be me, but I am not me without you. That you and I are grace to each other. This is what Peter was talking about. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen nation. You are living stones being built together into the dwelling place of God. As you and I do the hard work of community, we learn how to get along and keep getting along. Jesus, in some beautiful mystery, indwells us. As we all come together in our collective giftedness, our uniqueness, our collective history, and our collective destiny, the power of God and the presence of God dwells in the people of God. And that's how we accomplish our mission. It happens together. Very simply, like there's, again, there's no, there's no star in the church other than Jesus. And I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. But as we come together in unity around him, we form his body on the earth. That's how that works. And so we are very much like a community. We're a people. The Bible calls it a family. Uh, We're an army. We're a hospital. We are a body. We are a temple. As we come together, let me just say this, and this is very countercultural right now too. Christianity is a communal faith. It is not individualistic. If you go back to our our first code, it's for king and kingdom. It, it, It takes you off the throne. Like Jesus is on the throne. You are not. And our last code being built together, it's about us. It's not about you. It's about him and it's about us. And to the degree that we can operate in that likeness of Christ who honored God and loved people is the degree that we will flourish in our mission and our vision. This is who we are. Christianity is a communal religion. How, how did the prayer of Jesus start? Do you remember? Our Father, not my Father, right? Our Father. It's a communal religion. So how does this all work itself out in real time? Land in the plane. I'm going to pray. Well, King's Church is a church with high expectations. We aren't here playing games. We're not here to just check off some religious duty. We very much have high expectations as to who we are, what we're doing, and what our call is on the earth. Jesus said to Peter, he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you, the people of God, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is who we are and this is what we're about. And we believe when Jesus said these things, we're taking him at his word. And so we are a church that very much believes that the mission matters, that the, the need is great, that the darkness is dark, but we are on the winning side, y'all. And that the church is taking ground. And the church of Jesus Christ was and is and is to come and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we have high expectation on God. We know that if he said it, it will happen. His word will not return void. We have high expectations on the church. We are the singular hope of the world, y'all. No big deal. But listen, how many of us spend more time worrying about whether Putin and Biden and Trudeau and all these people are going to work it all out so that we'll be saved and nuclear war won't happen? How How much time have you spent worrying about that lately? You know what the actuality is? The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And you know what? Maybe one of the great graces of this era that we're in is, is that this is a moment for the church to kind of step back and say, yeah, you know what? I needed that reminder that I can't trust human institutions and I can't trust these organizations or these armies or these nations to solve problems that go back to the heart of mankind. We need a new heart and we need a people who have been given a new heart and authority to step in and tear down strongholds and deal with powers and principalities in dark places for we war not against flesh and blood. We war against powers and principalities of darkness. Our hope is high. 
what we do matters, and we believe that the church is on the winning side, and we have high expectations on ourselves. Let me just end with this. There are basically three categories of people. Yes, you're unique, you're valuable, all that stuff, but there's basically three categories of people that will come around the church. There's saints. Who's a saint? If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. You are a saint because he died and covered you in his blood and he has called you his. So if you're a saint, raise your hand. Yeah, some of you should have raised your hand, I'm telling you. So we have saints, we have seekers, people that are on the journey. And they're trying to find whether or not they want to follow this Jesus. And, and then we have spectators. There are people that just come to church and watch. Well, let me just say, uh, we have all the time in the world to equip the saints. That's what we're doing here right now. We want to equip the saints. We want you to flourish. We want you to be more and more like Jesus. This church does exist for you. You are this church. We want to equip the saints. We want to engage the seeker. If you are looking for Jesus and you are truly seeking, we believe it's only a matter of time before you find him. And you can take all the time you want. We, we are here to help you find Jesus. You heard our mission. We have all the time in the world to engage the seeker. Can I get an amen? We're glad you're here. We really are. We really hope you find Jesus. He is the answer that you're looking for. But what we don't want and we don't have, we don't have time for or any interest in in our church is to entertain spectators. We just don't. I'll say it lovingly. Maybe you've never been to a church where the pastor told you to leave. <laughs> but truly, everyone's like nervous laugh. <laughs> no, truly, truly. Look, if you are a saint, welcome to the brotherhood, the sisterhood. If you are a seeker, we're glad you're here. But if you're just here to watch, there's honestly, go, go binge watch The Office. Like, we're not here to entertain. We are on mission. And that's who we are as a people. And so I want to just say to you today, wherever you are, if you are, if you are a spectator, you know what? Take a step into the seeking. Or even better, become a saint. But if you are, if you're just here to watch, I'd get you to like day one at St. Stephen. The, well, the pastor came and the pastor told me to leave. <laughs> no, I didn't. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to step in. If you are a saint, step deeper into Jesus. If you are a seeker, take a step into Jesus. That's really all we're after as a church. Can I get an amen? Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. I just want to say, as you're standing, I hope you know this, and I hope it comes across, and I hope it goes without saying, but I smoke what I'm selling. Like, did you just say that? <laughs> I am all in on Jesus, and I am all in on the church. Amen. I am all in. Like, I'm giving my life to this. And I'll tell you what, over the last couple years, I had some daydreams and fantasies of going to get a real job. But I knew, I knew God has called me to this, and he's called me to serve his church, and there is nothing I would rather give my life to. And I'm asking you to do the same. I'm not asking you to be a pastor or to work at the church, but I'm asking you to give yourself to the mission of the church. Nothing given to King Jesus through his church will be wasted. Nothing. It will all be multiplied to his glory forever, and he will use it on the earth to call people to himself. So take your next step today. Step in. Step further into your church. Step further in. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you today for the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you died for it. You established it by your works and by your word, and you uphold it by the word of your power. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that right now you are moving all over the world. Thank you even now that there's revivals happening in Asia and in Africa and South America. And Lord, we say, do it here. Do it here, Lord. Bring great revival to North America. Bring it to Atlantic Canada. Lord, bring revival to Halifax and St. John and Charlottetown and St. Stephen. Would you do it, Lord? Bring revival. And we just say, Lord, would you use us? Come on, somebody. Use us, Lord. Use us as your church. Help us. Be attentive to what you're doing, Holy Spirit, and use us to reach people far from you. We pray this in your name. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to respond in one of two ways. Uh, for some of you, I'm calling you to take a step deeper into intentionality with your church. Be more consistent in coming. You just showing up matters. 
Be more consistent in serving. Be more consistent in giving. You being part of the church just matters. And we've got to demonstrate to the next generation what faithfulness looks like. Let me just say that over you. We've had a, a couple years where it's been rattly and, and different. We've got to re-engage in what the faithfulness of, of the people of God looks like so that our kids know, you know what? We don't have a wishy-washy faith. We're here in every season. I'm just calling you, King's Church, to step deeper in. Show up consistently. Be involved. Give. Serve. Give yourself to your church. Now, I felt, we felt really strongly this morning that there's some of you that actually have been on the fence, not just of the church, but on the fence of the faith. And I wanted to invite some of you to put your faith in Jesus for the first time today. So just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. To the one who is looking for hope and you're looking for answers and you're looking for a fresh start and you're looking for something bigger than what all the other things you've looked for has been able to offer you, let me say to you today, in fact, let the Spirit of God say to you today, there is a God you are not him. You were made by him, but you are not him. Apart from Jesus, you are far from him, separated by sin. The good news is that God so loves you that he came on a rescue mission to reconcile us to himself, bringing us to life, the life that you and I were made for. You and I were made for eternal life, but apart from Jesus, we are destined to dysfunction and dissatisfaction and death, but God sent his son Jesus to come and call us all to himself, dying on the cross, paying our debt, cleansing us of all unrighteousness, bringing us to eternal, everlasting life that whoever believes in him, who has the humility to call on his name, will be saved and will experience the fullness of life, transformation and redemption now and forever. That is his offer. He simply asks you to humble yourself and call on him. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you wanna receive salvation today, I'm gonna count to three and you make your confession by raising your hand. Wherever you are, you might be in Charlottetown, Halifax, St. Stephen, wherever you are, make your confession. Saints, it's time to pray. But one, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Two, do not put off today what you might not have the chance to do tomorrow. Three, put your hand up if you want to receive Jesus today. Put it up. Awesome, man. Is there more? Cool. Keep it up. Awesome. I see seven or eight here in the valley. I suspect there are some around our locations as well. So Father, we thank you for these ones that have put their faith in you today as they've made their confession just by simply raising their hand. Meet them where they're at, God. Come Holy Spirit, cleanse them. Let them know that what they just did right now is real. Let the, would you push back the lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. Establish, establish the kingdom life in them in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.